Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. So what is a smart thriller and how do we find the time to write? Well, Jim Heskett stopped by the show today and he's going to help us out. This is Ryan from the Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 88, coming at you. But first, some intro music. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. It is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton. I am so glad that you are here, however you found us. However you are listening to me in your ears, wherever you are, on the treadmill, cooking dinner, taking the dog for a walk, whatever you are doing, I'm so glad you're here. The podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well in no particular order, helping you get unstuck, helping you build something with your words. We're here. We're back in action. It's January 2019. We are over halfway through the month, the new year. I hope your writing is going well. I hope you are hitting those word counts, writing those books, getting those words, getting those books, getting your message out into the world. And today we have another great guest to help us become even more prolific than we were in 2018. Jim Heskett is on the show. And uh, you're going to love this interview with Jim. Jim is a thriller writer. He's a podcaster. He's a book reviewer, film reviewer, screenwriter, does all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, he also really has a passion to help writers find the time to write. And uh, you're going to hear kind of towards the the middle to end part of the interview about just what it was like to write full time. And I should say to work full time and find time to write and how he was trying to build up his backlist. And he's got a great website. I put in the show notes that you can uh, learn more about how to, uh, you know, juggle all of the life demands of us, but also find the time to write and create and, and get your words and get your work out into the world. So looking forward to sharing Jim's interview here and uh, just a couple of little updates with me, just working on a couple of projects. I uh, got some projects from last year. I'm trying to try to finish up. I uh, got a little writing 
book. Uh, it's kind of a collection of writing advice and tips and tricks that I've written over the last few years. I'm trying to put some of my best stuff, most popular stuff into a book. So I'm working on that. I'll let you know when that is available. Got a couple uh, fiction books, one from my NaNoWriMo that I'm still uh, cleaning up a little bit and uh, just been slow, more just time issue. Um, but yeah, cleaning that up should get that off to the editor soon, be out in the world, hopefully not too long. It's part of my Antique Assassin series, book five. Uh, I think it's one of the better ones. Uh, the The main character takes a trip to LA out of small town, Missouri. So it should be a, a fun rip roaring adventure. And uh, yeah, working on some another series as well and got some other stuff coming up. And uh, you know, they always say don't say exactly what you're doing because it'll jinx it so i'm not going to jinx it yet but uh, i'll keep you guys updated on that hey thanks everyone for all your emails and comments and reviews and uh pointing me to different guests and i got some great guests this year lined up um, as always and that's because of you and so if you have a guest in mind or you you are a writer that has some books out there and wants to come on the show love to have you on the show shoot me an email ryan at the prolific writer.net you can find me on the website too or social i'm not that hard to find uh, so thanks for participating and helping us become better writers and be, become more prolific so without further ado here is jim heskett <music> Hey, welcome everyone to The Prolific Writer. I have uh, Jim Heskett on the show today, and I'm uh, so excited to talk to Jim. He's a thriller writer and also helps writers as well and does a lot of other stuff. So, uh, Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit? You say you write thrillers that uh, are smart thrillers or thrillers with smarts. So what's a dumb thriller? <laughs> well, I would never want to poop on another author. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have read many a thriller that I... Uh, that just didn't feel like the characters grabbed me. So my mission and why I use that that tagline, thrillers with smarts, is to write thrillers that, that have characters that grab you and thrillers that make you think a little bit and go a little bit deeper than just uh, gunfights, punching people and explosions. That's my That was my intent, I suppose. Mm -hmm. No, I, I like that because I, I think, yeah, thrillers tend to be kind of flat characters. You know, if we just blow up cars and... And kill enough people, that'll be entertaining, but you want to kind of go into the character's head and life and kind of get the emotional uh, side of things. Um, now, I, I read somewhere that you're a Stephen King fan, and uh, that kind of got you started, uh, at least reading Stephen King. And one of the things that I love about King is just his depth of characters. And uh, I mean, is that, has that been kind of an influence on you, just how you, you think about writing and, and thrillers and characters and whatnot? Yeah, I think so. Uh, if you look at the sheer volume, then you could probably say that Stephen King is my favorite author because I can't think of any other author who comes close of the number of his books that I've read. Um, maybe I've read most of Neil Gaiman stuff and I really like him, but Stephen King has definitely been a huge influence on me. Um, when I discovered his books in my early teens, you know, the ones that I that I could read, there were some that were kind of terrifying even at that age that i couldn't really stomach like i couldn't read it until much later because it was just a little too scary but um he's definitely been an influence on me because i think the thing that makes stephen king's 
books have have that kind of uh, uh, lasting appeal is that he creates characters that you care about and that's and then he puts them in peril and that's a great way to keep you turning the pages but my favorite stuff of his is his more thrillery stuff like um, in the the Dark Tower series like the drawing of the three and um, uh, uh, Misery is definitely a thriller um, parts of the stand his more thrillery stuff like the edge of your seat pulse pounding exciting stuff is what really got me interested in story and i definitely um aped him quite a bit when i was a teenager in the stuff that i was writing you know cheap horror just plain stephen king ripoff stuff that's definitely how i got started mm-hmm. no I, I think that's that's funny with stephen king is I'm, I'm a big stephen king fan too and a lot of the stuff i love is not his scary stuff but kind of more thrillerish uh even non you know green mile and the body and Shawshank Redemption, all that kind of stuff. He's just such a, a talented, you know, writer in that way. Um, I even like his, some of his new, uh, you know, police stuff and thrillers that he's been writing recent of more of late. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's the you know that's the 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 thing we all we all want to do is is kind of get to that depth, and that's why we love stories. We love the people. We can relate to them. We can, you know, feel what they feel. Um, you know, especially Stephen King, he writes such you know everyday man you know, uh, work mm-hmm. and relationships. And we all, you know, we all can kind of, kind of relate to that. Uh, so let's, let's take it back a little bit. So, you know, Stephen King influenced reading some of his stuff, but let, let's talk a little bit about when you started writing, uh, when did that bug begin? When did you say, Hey, I, I need to write some stories down. And, and then eventually, obviously you have a lot of stuff out in the world. We'll talk, we'll get into that too. Uh, but when did that begin with you? Well, like I said, first I was just trying to emulate Stephen King and write scary stories um, as a teen, and then then I, I wrote a lot of poetry to woo women. Um, but uh, uh, then in my, I guess in my twenties, I was all over the place. I went to school for psychology, and I worked in mental health for a while, and I I didn't write for a long time. But then I had a, a roommate after college who he had written some screenplays and he was very he very much wanted to break into Hollywood and and he and I used to bounce ideas off each other and I'd had this idea um for a long time I'd had this idea for a story that I've been kicking around basically for about a decade and I told it to him and he thought we should write a movie so we sat down and we wrote a screenplay over a few months and then we wrote a couple more together and I wrote a couple screenplays on my own and I didn't really know how to break into Hollywood. I was um, entering screenplays into competitions, and I was doing well on those competitions. But you know, there were Hollywood wasn't um, trying to break down my door to sign me to any kind of you know seven figure deal. So eventually, I just sort of realized that that it wasn't writing screenplays that I liked; it was telling stories, and that I could write fiction. And have complete control over the process. Um, unlike everything that I've heard about when you write a script and then if you if you sell that script, if it even does get made, it won't end up looking anything like that. And I wanted to have more control over the process, which ultimately is why I'm an independent author or mostly independent author. Um, control over that process. And then I... I, I moved uh, to another country for a while and so I didn't really start publishing until about four years ago um, is when I I moved back to America and I got back into writing and then I finished a couple of books and I was chasing that traditional publishing deal Uh, and I was writing novels and I was getting a little bit closer to getting an agent but eventually I just realized that um, I wanted to do it myself 
and I, I wanted to be able to have control over what my books looked like, the titles, the covers, and all of that stuff. And then so I independently published my first book in spring of 2015, I think. Yeah, so it was almost four years ago. Well, great. Yeah, I, I think that's – it's funny. I have an episode launching before your interview, and she's a screenwriter in the UK. And she said the almost exact same thing is, is you know, the, the I guess the limited nature of screenwriting is, you know, you can't tell the full story. You can't get down deep. I mean, even that's why we always say, well, we love the, you know, book more than we love the movie because they, they just can't – they only have so much, you know, canvas to play with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, novel writing is such a, uh interesting art form because we can really go deep. I mean, think of a, a King novel that's a thousand pages i mean obviously he's going really deep with the story mm-hmm. um but i also love what you're saying about you know just the the freedom that you have as an indie writer covers design story you know people don't realize in traditional publishing how much of that you don't have control over and you know and and the feedback that you get it's like well we you know, the story needs to do this or maybe it shouldn't do that or here's what the cover needs to be or or what have you um but yeah i think a lot of indie writers that's that's part of the the process so um, so when you, when you kind of were getting into it, I mean, where did you begin? I mean, did you have any background of like, you know, where do I begin? You know, how do I write a novel? How do I make a cover? Like all those kinds of things. I mean, what, what kind of got you going? Did you ask for help? Talk us through a, a little bit of that process. Well, I had had, I'd read a ton of screenwriting books when I was writing screenplays and I learned a lot about story from there. But when I started writing fiction, it was really just a, a a lot of painful discovery, a lot of making mistakes. Um, and you know, I've, I've always been really into craft books. Uh, there's, there's the Bible of Stephen King's on writing is, is a, a mainstay. And I've just read, um, uh, tons and tons of books by indie authors. Like Libby Hawker has a couple of, uh, great books, like gotta read it and, um, take off your pants, you know, books about, the craft and the marketing side of it. Um, like Craig Martell is a good book called uh, uh, is it How to Be a Successful Indie Author. I don't know. I've read so many of those books. They all kind of blend together. Um, but a lot. it was really a lot of uh, trial and error. You know, my first novel that I wrote, I spent two years writing it um, because I just went back and I wrote and I rewrote and I rewrote and I kept thinking I was going to get it perfect until I eventually moved on to the second book Um and the, those first two books that I wrote, I, I was trying to get those traditionally published. It wasn't until the third novel that I decided I was going to be an indie. So it was really uh, a lot of studying craft, a lot of reading, um, trying to learn tropes, and a lot of painful mistakes of doing it the wrong way before I could finally figure out how to do it the right way, I suppose. So when you uh, when you're writing, you deciding to write a thriller, was that your first uh, foray into indie publishing? Were the thrillers, or I know you have some dystopian stuff too. What was the the first kind of series? The first series I put out. So the first thing I put out was a standalone novel um, that was basically just a kind of a wilderness survival mystery slash thriller. It, it sort of jumped around for five or six different genres, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. The, but the first thing I wrote that was a series was back when I was still thinking I was going to wanted to be traditionally published. I wrote a novella that was just based on a wild idea that I had. Um, uh, I just had this idea, and so I sat down and I wrote a chapter, and then that turned into a novella. and And I gave it to some people, and they said, "Okay, well, what happens next?" And so that I turned it into a series of of uh, three novellas and then a follow up prequel. 
um, that was my first real series. And it was all basically based on a resentment I had um, because I, I was being laid off from a day job. Um, and I, uh, so I essentially wrote a novella with an evil um, conspiracy about a company, a conspiracy about an evil company. And so I exercised all my demons in writing that novella. <laughs> um so let's let's talk a little bit about um so you get in that first series now because you're kind of swimming in uh the thriller genre um i know there's some very specific things were there any any books or influences that as far as thrillers go that you really said you know i kind of want to not that you want to copy it but i mean books you're reading going i really like this kind of style i like this kind of you know, world. Cause I mean, there's so many different kinds of thrillers, anything that, that kind of influenced you in that regard. I can't point to any specific book. I mean, I've taken a lot from lots of different thrillers like, uh, Jack Reach, you know, Lee child, David Baldacci, Brad Thor. I've, I've liked bits and pieces of, of lots of different books. Um, Thomas Harris is a big one. Silence of the lambs, red dragon, all of his, his series are really good. Um, but I think one of the things that really had a huge impact on me was the story grit by Sean Coyne, mm-hmm. uh, because he does a breakdown of Silence of the Lambs in that book. And he talks about the thriller tropes and all the things that a thriller book specifically needs to have in order to satisfy audiences, because that's something I hadn't really considered before. And it's something that I think really good writers just sort of figure out on their own that what are the the tropes or what are the the standard story points that every particular genre needs to have you know like in a romance you need to have a happy ending you need to have the happily ever after ending and in a in a murder mystery you need to have a dead body at the end of chapter one and in a thriller you need to have a ticking clock and you need to have a villain who's stronger than the protagonist and in the story gritty really made me think about all of those thriller tropes and it made me read fiction in a different way because um, right now I'm reading um, The Firm by John Grisham. Mm-hmm. And I know this book came out like 20 or 25 years ago, but it's new to me. And he does a really good job with all those thriller tropes. And it's a he hits all the beats. And in addition to that, he made me care about the character, which has turned into a really exciting book. And I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through it. And I'm really excited to get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the ticking clock in the firm is really is really great. I mean, even the movie's great. Uh, but yeah, th- those are there's certain things. Um, you know, you mentioned Story Grid. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, great resource. Uh, you know, he kind of breaks down Science of the Lambs, and if you've read that book or if you're listening, um, and you know, just kind of what are the beats? Yeah, what are where does it go? How does it? Why does it work? You know, uh, it, it's really helpful just to see other books kind of you know pull back the layers, the onions of a, of a book and see how, why it works. And I always tell our, our reader, or I should say our listeners, um, you know, take, take your favorite book and just kind of study it and research it and go, yeah, why do I like this book? What, what works, you know, what doesn't work, what, you know, what keeps me flipping the pages. And I think that's where you kind of learn even subconsciously how to, how to write a good story. And, you know, so, you know, when, when you, when you think of like your thrillers and you know, you're learning the craft, you're, you're, you're putting out these, these stories, you know what? When someone picks up a a Jim Heskett book, you know what are they what are they going to get? I mean, what are they going to come away with? I mean, what are they going to go? Yeah, I really like this about. What's kind of been some feedback from from readers and your audience about what they like about your thrillers? 
Well, my intention is that they'll get a story with a character that they care about. They'll get a they'll get an exciting story. They'll be able to relate to the character um, and find a lot of mystery in the character because that's one thing that I've always tried to do with with the heroes of my stories is to give them to give to give them little mystery boxes that you're excited to open. Like my main, the longest running series I have is my Micah Reed series, and it basically all you know about him in the first couple of books is that he has dark secrets in his past, and you come to find out, you know, that he is a former criminal and he's now in witness protection. And over the course of the books, you learn about the things he did before he was in witness protection and why he makes some of the choices he does because of the things that have happened before. So to answer your question, I, I, I guess I would hope that when someone picks up a Jim Heskett book, they would find uh, a thrilling story that is full of realistic beats. You know, it's full of realistic events and has a character that people find intriguing. That's good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, sometimes I, you were mentioning earlier, sometimes thrillers feel, you know, we're talking about the smart versus dumb thriller, you know, some, mm -hmm. some do feel a little flat, you know, you don't really care about the characters as much, you know, some of the old, you know, pulpy novels too, that, you know, you didn't really love the characters. There's just kind of a lot of things happening and mystery and you know, even some of Agatha Christie, that's some of the, the knocks on those books. It's, you mm -hmm. know, the, you know, the, uh, I don't know if I love the characters, but, um, but you know, that again, that's, I think that's why we, we, they are relatable, why we pick them up, why we keep reading. You want, you want someone to keep, you know, turning the page and going, I, I want to find out what happened to this guy. You know, why was he, you know, who did he kill and what, you know, what was going on? Those are always great, great things to have. Now let, let's get in a little bit, just tactic stuff, because I think a lot of our listeners learn, you know, even from, we always say, you know, don't copy, you know, your favorite author, but you know, there are things we can learn from each other. Um, so when you were kind of getting, you know, starting your first novel, I mean, uh, did you have a plan? I mean, were you an outliner? Were you a non outliner? Were you, you know, get, bring us through a little bit of your process, you know, word counts, you know, editing, all that kind of stuff tell us a little bit how that's, how that began and kind of how that's evolved over the years. I've mostly been an outliner from the beginning. Um, that novella, I kind of pantsed it. The novella I mentioned that was based on the resentment, I kind of pantsed it just because that first chapter, I had no idea where it was going to go. Mm -hmm. But even that, after I would still think ahead a few scenes, um, because I'm, I've never really been a full pantser because I'm too scared of writing myself into a corner. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know a lot of people who say that they can't outline because it robs them of that creative joy. Well, I what I do is I write um, – I write a loose outline basically and I there's some scenes I always know where it's going to go but I sometimes don't know how it's going to get there. Um you know there I might have a scene that says that all the outline says in this scene the villain the villain gets the nuclear codes from the hero. And that's all the scene says but I don't know how the villain is going to accomplish that. I don't know whose point of view it is until I sit down. I may not know where the scene is. So the scenes that come before it and the scenes that come after it are going to kind of dictate where it goes once I start writing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I generally outline well enough that I I won't get stuck uh, because I don't like I, I don't want to get to a point where I don't know what's going to come next. Um, I mean, I don't really believe in writer's block, but I do definitely believe you can write yourself into a corner and not, and then either have to delete words, which I really hate to do, um, because I put out a lot of fiction and I, I, one of the ways that I do that is that I don't waste words. You know, I don't write a scene unless I'm pretty sure it's going to stay. Mm -hmm. 
That's good. Yeah. And I, I think I like what you're saying, because I think people, when they think outline, they think, you know, 50,000 word outline. I mean, some people do that, which is crazy, but you know, it, you don't need a lot. It's just to kind of get you going, you know, a framework, you know, some are going to be more detailed, but yeah. It, and it doesn't, you know, everyone's different, you know, uh, it doesn't squash your, you know, creative freedom. If you outline, you know, things change, but you know, and, that, and that's the, the beauty of, you know, you're not just writing out every single detail, but you're kind of letting your creative brain go where it needs to go. Um, so when you were, you know, writing, you know, those first couple books, what did, what did kind of your, your, you know, you talked about rewriting a, a couple books, like for two years, um, you know, how have you kind of evolved in that as far as editing and, and kind of making it what you want it to be? You mentioned, you know, not wanting to waste words. So what does kind of the editing process look like for you? Well, speaking of the 50,000 word outline, that's actually kind of what I do. Um, mm -hmm. My first draft is more like a zero draft. Mm -hmm. So the, the first draft I write is very much a skeleton. It's, I will, I'm a, I guess the word is fast drafter because in that first draft, I don't focus on anything else other than getting those words done. I don't edit on other projects. I don't really worry about marketing for other stuff. I'm mostly just focused on getting that first draft done. And I write short and I write fast so that a book that's going to be 70,000 words will be more like 40 in the first draft because I will skimp on dialogue. I will not describe people, places, and things because all that stuff can come later. So what I do is I just really want to get it onto the page so that it's a lump of clay that I can then in the second draft, what I do, or you could call it the actual first draft after the zero draft, but I would call it the second draft. Because So I write out that first draft, then I compile it all to uh, in Scrivener into a Mobi file I sit down and I read it in one sitting on my Kindle so I can get a feel for if there are any plot holes, if the story moves. I don't worry about pacing because I know because I wrote short, it's going to be super lightning paced. Because pacing, that's what I fix in the second draft. In the second draft, I go in and I fix the pacing. I figure out how long a scene should be and then I get it up to that word count by like adding in character details and adding in scene descriptions and more dialogue because like in first draft, all my characters pretty much sound the same. They all kind of talk the same. And then as, as in that first draft, as I'm meeting those characters and learning about them, I kind of will learn how they talk so that I can go back in and include that in the second draft. So then after second draft, I I'll do another read through. And now I'm, now I'm thinking about pacing and I'm thinking about, are these subplots fleshed out enough? Do these character are these characters believable? Have I expressed their motivations on the page in a way that the reader will understand? Um, and then I'll do a third draft. Sometimes it depends on how clean that second draft is. Um, then it's off to the editor, and uh, then it's done. No, I like that. I, I you know. I I've talked about putter inners and taker outers and uh, you know, everyone has to kind of <laughs> decide what they yeah. are. I mean, some write, you know, a hundred thousand word and then they're taking out, you know, 20% or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I like what you're, you're saying. That's, that's a little bit, a little bit of what I do is, is kind of a, it's almost like a glorified outline, the first draft or the zero draft, as you said. And then you, you know, I say put in some color, you know, you, you add mm -hmm. in more detail, you, you try to figure out how they talk and, you know, make it, you know, speed it up or slow it down. And, um, and then, you know, by the end, I mean, you really are, you have a pretty fleshed out book as well. And then it's kind of one more clean through, make sure everything works and, you know, off to the editor. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think everybody has to decide kind of what, what they're comfortable with and what they like to do. I mean, some just like to blast through, you know, a million words and, and then come back and chop it up. But what was some of your tendencies that maybe, um, 
you know, you've maybe after sending it to the editor, you kind of realize, oh, here's a tendency I have, or here's a thing that I do a lot that maybe I need to to watch out for as you're kind of going back through your stories. Were, were there things you were seeing um, in your early stories? Do you mean like grammatically or, or thematically? Well, yeah, just and and or um, you know, grammatically or you know, story. I mean, what were what were things as you were learning that you were kind of like, oh yeah, I, I did this a lot, but I'm trying to get better at this. Mm, I think one of the things that I learned from that first novel that I wrote that I spent two years writing was that I kept going back. I did probably 12, 15, maybe even more drafts of that book. And I kept going back and, and reading through it and going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this thing happened here? <laughs> and then I would insert something. But then I realized that that would break 12 other chapters and then I would have to go fix those. And I, it got so out of hand that I was keeping like a change log of all the little changes that I'd made to the story. And it just got so out of control that there were, I don't even know how many subplots were in this. It was a hundred thousand word novel and there were like 20, 25 different subplots and, and all these POVs and every character had their own subplots that tied into other things. And so I think one of the things that I learned from that was to keep it simple. Um, and that once I've got that, that outline in place and that if I think of something cool that could happen, I have to take a really good, hard look at do I want to cause that disruption of making a change to my story because I know the damage changing changing a character from having two brothers to having three brothers? I know that could do damage if, if it's especially if it's later in the process mm -hmm. um, and I have to go back and fix a bunch of stuff. Um, so something like that, in, in order to stay on track, I try to keep it simple um, and know that every time unless unless there's a plot hole, Unless there's something, unless I've I've skipped over something and something doesn't make sense, I'm not going to make those kinds of changes once I've got that first draft down. Mm -hmm. no, that's really helpful, I think, for those listening because I I think that rewriting to death, you know, is very temp tempting, and just thinking, you know, hey, if I just added this scene or take that away, but you know, I I know you're a prolific writer, and that's one of the things we preach around here too is, um, you know, if you want to you know, write more stuff and get more work out there. It's like, you can't spend five years, you know, rewriting going, well, maybe this, or maybe that, you know, there comes a point too. You just have to say, Hey, you know, this is what it's going to be. It needs to be, let's stop <laughs> playing with it, you know, tweaking it. Cause we've got to write another story. And, uh, you know, and I think that's, you know, you learn from those mistakes too, of, of just kind of over. And I think sometimes our, you know, we overthink it, you know, we, we overanalyze, you know, we, we think, well, if it just had this, then it might be the best story ever. But, um, but no, that, thanks for sharing that. I know that that's always part of the learning process, right? It's just kind of figuring out, you know, and then you kind of get a better process, you know, and you don't, you're not so overcritical and you go, okay, that works. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have a good editor, they should give you some feedback too. Like if you miss some holes or you miss, you know, some inconsistencies or whatever, they usually can be very help helpful in that. Um, and when it comes to a number of drafts, you know, however many drafts you, you need to, to get a work complete, there's a law of diminishing returns when mm -hmm. it comes to that. Because, you know, like between draft one and draft two, there's a 90% improvement. Then between draft two and draft three, there's a 40% improvement. But by the time you get, you're going from draft 
eight to draft nine and you're getting a three percent improvement in the manuscript like is it worth it at that point is it worth that those extra few weeks it's going to take you to go back and read through and edit every single scene to get a three percent improvement and that's what i didn't realize back then that i do know now and that like beyond draft three i'm not going to get enough improvement in the manuscript to make it worth my time mm-hmm. right yep as, as they say you can you know polish a turd but it's still a turd right it's still uh, a turd <laughs> so um so uh so jim so one of the, one of the interesting things about you is not only your your thriller writing and and dystopian books and and stories that you've been telling is uh you also help help writers and one of the things you mentioned when you reached out to me was uh you know you have kind of a an interest and a passion to kind of help writers be more you know efficient with their time and and you know produce more work and things so why don't you talk a little bit about that How, what do you have going on as far as helping helping writers i know you have a podcast some other stuff going on too mm-hmm. i have a um a website's called the juggling com, and the podcast is called the juggling author and it all basically came from because uh my son was born in 2014 and at the time i was working full-time and commuting to work every day and walking the dog a couple times a day and i was as i was starting out writing i one thing i knew was that in order to have success i needed to build up a backlist really quickly but with all that stuff going on i was worried that i was only going to be able to put out like a book a year and if you're trying to build up a backlist, a book a year is not going to cut it. So basically, I devised a system that allowed me in 2016, I wrote and published 325,000 words while I was working 40 hours a week. And my son was two and I had the day job, you know, the day job that I had to commute to and the dog walking and all the other stuff, all the other family and, you know, social commitments that I had to do. Basically, I figured out how to squeeze with all that stuff, how to squeeze time out of nothing to be able to publish, I think, about six books that year. And so then I wrote a book about that experience, and I called it The Juggling Author, where I figured out you know, um, a plan basically of how to manage my time, what sacrifices I need to make, how to be the most efficient with time tracking, with a to-do list, and with all those sorts of things. The things that can suck away time – uh, like, you know, wasting time on social media or um, sleeping in. <laughs> well, now my son was very young, so I didn't sleep in anyway. <laughs> right. But I, I figured out how to be very productive. And so that's basically what the juggling author is about. It's about how you can get your writer to do list done when you've got all those other things going on in life. Okay. No, that's great. I, I think most of our writers are, you know, juggling day jobs and families and you know, myself included, four kids and whatnot. Uh, Give us a couple more tips, you know, whether that's mindset or process and without, you know, you don't have to spoil your whole book, but, um, you know, tell us a few things, just, just, you know, someone who's working 50 hours a week right now, family trying to get, you know, want to get that backlist grown, you know, what are some things that that helped you or what, what are some things you kind of flush out in the book? Well, my number one tip, I think, to to being a juggling author, to being able to get everything done is your to do list. Um. I'm a productivity app uh, nut. I like lots of product, different productivity apps. For a long time, I was really high on Trello as a, as a uh, keeping a to do list. But now um, I I have a Mac and I use an app called Agenda that I really like. And so I think keeping a to do list and staying on top of it is the most important thing you can do 
to be a, a productive author. And whether you use Trello or Agenda or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. A pen and paper, it doesn't matter. The point is that you keep all the things you need to do right now, the things you need to do later, the things you need to do someday, and the things that are just ideas in a journal and you're constantly moving things from the do later list to the do now list, do later, do next, do now in that order. And you're moving things along so that at any time you can always look at your list and know exactly what you need to do right now and what's coming up. Because even though it feels, and I spend time every single day looking at my to-do lists and knowing what I've got to do. And it may feel like that's counterproductive because you're spending so much time managing your list and you know managing all these productivity apps and looking and figuring what you're going to do but in order to be a productive author you have to do a million different things you know there's all of the writing there's all the networking there's all the marketing there's all the social stuff there's a million different things you need to do every time i launch a book you know there's like a hundred different tasks i have to do and so i keep all of those in my to-do list and that enables me to free up my brain to not um, go crazy. So keeping a regimented, really strict, and active to-do list, I think, is probably the number one tip I could give to people to be a juggling author. No, that's good. And, and I think one of the, there's something about even just writing it down. I mean, whether you app, use an app or pen and pa- paper or whatever, um, it, it's just that that idea that, I'm, I'm getting serious about this. Like whether it's, I'm writing down my word count, I'm right. I gotta, you know, get my cover designed. I gotta get it to the editor, whatever it is. There, there's just something that becomes real. It's not just ethereal. It's not, well, I'd like to write a book this year, or I'd like to write a couple books this year, or I should build up my backlist, but it's like, yeah, what is the plan to actually do that? And I think the, the to-do list is, you know, actually setting down those goals, writing those things down. And, and, and again, obviously if you looked at your to-do list and mine, you know, we don't, you know, accomplish every single thing on the, on the list, but we can move it. We can, you know, tweak it. We can, you know, redo it. I think, you know, 2019, especially as we kick off the new year, it's a great time just to, you know, write down your writer goals and say, let's, let's make it serious this year. Not just, well, if I get around to it, because the reality is you're not going to get around to it unless you, you know, put, put some weight to it and, uh, and say, I'm actually going to, you know, write, I think you said 350,000 words, you know, in one year or whatever it was. And I don't know if that was a goal or that just what, what happened, but you said you had something in your mind, Hey, I need to get a backlist going and here's the goal. Here's the plan, but I have to have a, a plan of action, a plan of attack. No, I, I love that. And, and I think writers get too, too caught up in the create the creativity side and the woo woo muse side. And it's like, well, you know, as the muse leads and then, you know, but a lot of, a lot of this is you have to have a plan and you have to, you know, just like a job, you got to put in the time and put in the effort. It's not just going to happen by accident. Um, so yeah, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, so, uh, tell us a little bit, you, you got, you know, you're writing your thrillers, you have your the juggling author website and you also have a podcast. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, your podcast. The podcast, well, I have a couple of podcasts. I have one for fiction that's called the Thriller Fiction Podcast, and that's mostly just uh, um, serialized fiction. It's mostly my fiction. Well, it's all my fiction, um, actually. Um, But that's just something I did to try to do a little outreach, to try to bring in some new people, maybe uh, give them some free fiction, uh, basically reading my um, some I have some lead magnets I give away on my website, and I was doing audio versions of those to try to attract people because I do have some audiobooks, and so I think maybe that might be there might be some crossover between those audiences. But uh, my new my new podcast um, is called the uh, the Juggling Author Podcast, and it's bite sized 
uh, bits of advice on writing craft, marketing, author mindset, and time management. Um, so the, all the episodes are short. You know, they're between five to fifteen minutes long, and it's just me. It's not an interview show. It's just it's just me talking about um, different topics like. Um, how often should I email my list? How many drafts should I write? Just answering those simple questions like that. Great. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put all those in the show notes. So uh, so tell us, I always like to ask my interview ease, if you will, um, you know, give us some, you know, aspiring author, people just starting out, what, what would be just some advice, some tips, some inspiration you want to give to an aspiring or current author um that that wants to write or or is writing and and how would you want to encourage them i would say the only way you can fail is if you give up uh because it doesn't matter what success you think you should have the only way to ensure failure is if you quit and that if you're not feeling if you're not feeling you are where you should be uh, maybe you're comparing your insides to other people's outsides. Maybe you're comparing where you are now versus where you think you should be when what you should compare is where you are now versus where you were before. Hmm. Because that's the only way you get better is to look at where you used to be and strive forward. And just don't ever give up because however you define success, if you define success as getting an agent – or just having your book published or getting a certain review score or making a certain amount of money. The only way you're not going to get there is if you quit. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And uh, something we hear on the show a lot is just, you know, writing's up and down and you just got to keep, keep going. And, and yeah, I, I love that. What you said, just not comparing yourself to, you know, others and, you know, where you've been. It, it, I think sometimes we forget the, the, the growth we've made because we never look back and go, wow, I used to be way back here and it was really crappy, but now I really have made progress. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, Jim, tell us what, what do you have coming out? Uh, what books, stories, podcasts, uh, time to uh, tell us all about your stuff and where we can find you. Well, you can find my nonfiction at uh, Uh You can learn about me and my fiction at jimheskett.com. What I've got coming out next uh, is in, last year I wrote, um, as we're recording this in January 2019, right? That's the right year, right? 2019. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, last year I wrote uh, an entire dystopian trilogy. I wrote all three books of the trilogy and I'm going to be fast releasing them. That's the first time I've done that. So it's um, 180,000 words I'm publishing in January and February. I'm going to be spitting those all out real quick and this is the first time i've done that rapid release thing um and that's called the slave games trilogy and the novels are strike flame and fire um and they're coming out january and february 2019 and um i'm hoping to also get another nonfiction book out this year uh but it doesn't have a title yet i'm still working on it but yeah so i'm working on that and in, in the bits and cracks here and there well it sounds great well, hey, Jim, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and uh, your story. And uh, yeah, you really helped a lot of people today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And, and hey, the best of luck and go check out Jim's books. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Jim Heskett, writing the smart thrillers, uh, teaching us how to find the time to write. Really loved his story, uh, loved his advice and tips and tricks on craft as well. So thanks Jim for some just great tips and inspiration. And, and one, one of my favorite things was 
The only way that you're going to fail is if you give up. And it's so true in life. Uh, It's so easy. I think it's just human nature is we want to give up too quickly. Uh, You know, when things get hard or there isn't the response that we want, especially with books. Books, it's not a quick response. It's not, you know, reviews just don't flood in and emails just don't flood in. Even the people that you love, even the people that are closest to you don't always respond to the work that you're, you're, you're making and the books you're writing and, and, you know, wherever you are in your journey. And so it can be frustrating. Um, but, but I love the, the fact that he's just like, Hey, just, just hang in there. It's great advice because usually it's through the pain and through the struggle that we, we find the good stuff and, uh, and yeah, and it's pushing through and there, and that's how writing is. That's how anything in life is. Um, you know, if we just give up on every relationship that's hard, well, we won't have many relationships. Uh, and so thanks Jim for coming on the show. Go check out all Jim's stuff. I put his website on the show notes in the show notes and some other resources that were recommended and uh, in the in the show so check that out as well and uh, just a couple things before we go thing one is if you'd like to support the show one specific way you can do that is visit patreon.com and i'll put that in the show notes too uh, the project entertainment network which is the uh, family of podcasts that I'm a part of. We have about 21 shows. If you'd like to support the shows, including this one, uh, check out the Patreon page. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month, and that will get you some cool stories and some swag and some other stuff. And uh, so go check that out. Support not this show, but also the other shows that are in the family of the Project Entertainment Network. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. And thing two, if you would be so kind to leave a rating or review on iTunes, that would help us out a lot. And, uh, and just say, Hey, if you like the show and I think it's helpful, it helps us get the show out into the world and help more writers. And that's why we, we do this is uh, to get your words out in the world, get your message out in the world. And I b- believe strongly in that. And, uh, yeah. So, so thank you for all the feedback. It's been great. And also if there's anyone that you'd like for me to have on the show, please hit me up on uh, email ryan at the prolific writer.net or the website and i'd love to to interview you or talk about that and uh yeah help us become more prolific so it's 2019 got one more thing to say before i go go get those words on the page i'll talk to you real real soon Every person's story has something to teach us, how others view life, how obstacles are overcome, how joy is felt, how fears are faced, how love is expressed. The Matters of Faith podcast explores individual stories of people's lives and how faith plays a part. It may not be your story, but it may help shape yours. The Matters of Faith podcast with Jay Wilburn is on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.